Hi, welcome to The Authentic Existence with Katie and Lori. So today we're going to talk about trust, betrayal, and forgiveness. So, um, you know, I think this is something that is a, a relevant topic to everyone because at some point in your life, you are going to have someone who betrays your trust and um, sometimes you're going to work to forgive them. And I think that um, forgiveness is, is a very much a, a freeing space so you can alleviate yourself of the connections to that um, that betrayal. So uh, just wanted to start off with a quick definition of trust. So the definition of trust is it's a fundamental aspect of human relationships. It involves placing confidence in another person's ability, reliability, excuse me, integrity and abilities. At its core, trust is the belief that the other person will behave in a way that is predictable and consistent with our expectations. So just so we're clear, you know, what, what trust is. And that kind of gives you a burden of proof too, to be like, okay, this is what I anticipate to be able to deliver to other people so that they'll trust me as well. When are the expectations established? I would think that um, very early on in our relationship. And I think it depends on how you come into this relationship. Because like sometimes in professional relationships, the trust is different. You know, the ethics of that relationship is different than opposed to like friendships, Mm -hmm. you know. And I think that as you grow into those relationships, those expectations will change. Yeah. And I think it's totally fair to be transparent and say like, hey, look, I am telling you this in confidence. I expect you not to share it with anyone else. Or, you know, just as an example. Um, of like putting your trust in someone else or <clears throat> let's say I needed you to go get one of my kids you know like, you would trust that you know that I'm going to show yeah, up and do it yeah 100% so but and there's then, some people that we know that we're like eh, for sure know, so I yeah up. yeah so there's definitely like levels to that and that mm-hmm. those expectations for sure will flow into that so um, trust is the basis for all healthy relationships and I firmly believe that like once you break trust with someone, it's it's very difficult to try and forgive yeah, you and start get it questioning back. Questioning everything. Yes, you can't get back to where you started. So this whole episode is about that. So if you've ever been in any kind of relationship, and this can be just your relationship with um, your children, your relationship with your parents, your family members, um, spouses, uh, and yourself, romantic partners, and yourself, because all of the trust begins and ends with your self-trust yeah so you can betray your own trust (laughs) then you have to work on that so that you can try to forgive other things if that's healthy for you to do so so um the the way that we begin to trust starts in childhood now uh this is like basing on your caregivers growing up like how much you can trust them and how much trust they put in you and they encourage you to have self, like trust yourself to do hard things and stuff like that. So uh, early childhood experiences play a critical role in shaping our ability to trust others. Children who grow up in safe and supportive environments develop a sense of security that enables them to trust others more easily. Those who experience neglect and trauma often struggle with trust issues for most of their life. So, like, you know, I think of, like, um, if, if there's a kid who knows when they get home from school their stepdad is going to be drunk mm-hmm. and you don't trust going home. You're like, because yeah. every time I go home, it's either physical abuse, verbal abuse, any kind of abuse. 
you know, then you'll, you'll you, I mean, that's, I think of that because that was my life, so. And then also critical, being critical. So if we're doing a project, even let's say it's an art project, right. and the parent is like, no, 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 you're not doing it right, do it this way. And then the child at, at a certain point gets to a point where they're like, well, I just can't do anything right, so I just won't do anything. Right, yeah, it kind of paralyzes them. Mm-hmm. So these are just some examples so you guys can kind of reflect on that and how, um, you develop trust as a young person and how you are cultivating trust maybe in your children and building that up for them or if you are actually diminishing that so that you can work there. Because uh, obviously if you're listening to our show or tuning in to us with, on the live, you, you know this is stuff we talk about. <laughs> um, so also too, it says that your attachment style is, um, is developed here too as well. So we've talked about attachment styles on another episode. You guys can go listen to that or look that up and see how that kind of folds into this. So children who experience secure attachments develop a sense of trust in others while those with insecure attachments struggle with trust issues, which makes perfect sense. So go check that episode out too um, whenever we're done with this one. So uh, also it says that the, the ways that we can build trust are by active listening so if you're not a, a very active listener, so that means like looking in the person's eyes, giving them your full un- undivided attention, um, and then communicating with them, not not listening to be able to respond, but listening because you want to understand. So I think that's really valuable. And I, you know, I think those kind of qualities make people more trustworthy, obviously. Like I can feel that when someone is like genuinely engaged in conversation with me and not distracted and you know, now we're all on our phones while we're listening to somebody and it's, it's kind of, it diminishes trust. Yeah, it's it hard does. It's hard to make that connection, that genuine connection between human and human. Yeah, especially when you got a computer between you. Um, I also think, because we've had conversations about this before, mm-hmm. I think that when you have had your trust broken um, multiple times, like let's just say for, uh, romantic relationships okay um maybe so when we've talked about i'm like so what do you mean like you just trust the person off the top and you're like yeah and i'm Mm -hmm. like what no way (laughs) no yeah um but i think that you want to right and so you start off with the benefit of the doubt and as the time progresses that trust them showing up like they said they're gonna show up Mm -hmm. that builds trust as well yeah so i think in the beginning you know i mean it I don't think it's like a full trust. Like, oh, I trust you with my firstborn. I trust you. Know, I don't tr- trust people like that. But yeah, ha- see, I I have had a very full, naive trust giving to yes. people. <laughs> yeah, um, and so I need to rein it in. Whereas maybe you haven't, Mm-mm. and so you need to give a little right. More. And I think that comes from just the consistency of everybody's actions involved. So once you get to a place where you're like, okay. This person consistently yeah. shows up this way and consistently behaves this way. And um, then I know that, okay, I can give you a little bit more and a little bit more and then eventually like a full, full-blown full trust. Yeah. Yeah. So another one is, uh, that kind of clues in here is transparency and honesty. So if someone tells me like, dude, I have a problem, I'm, I'm flaky. Like I'll make plans and then I'm like, mm, I don't really actually the day of, you know, I don't really uh-huh. want to do that. Yeah. So then you get to the point where you're like, well, I stop inviting that person because they flake out on plans all the time. But I think that the fact that they're willing to be vulnerable and honest in that space gives you, that was mine. I can't hear. You can't hear anything? No, ma'am. Katie unplugged my I didn't know earbuds. I didn't do anything. My, Can you hear now? No, I cannot. 
Can you hear me now? No, mine is the top. Are you sure? Yeah. Can you hear now? No. There it is. There. Ah! One ear. Do two ears. Leave it you alone. Got, you got to put it in just right. <laughs> yes, you do. Okay, I can hear my. We show. always got to have some do technical difficulty. It is. Ooh, this just is like a good what question is. that Dale asked because I asked this to someone the other day. Can you trust or can you? So my question was, can you? respect someone like a husband can you respect a man who is not a good husband and they were like well yeah because we're separate and i was like well i think that that's different because it depends on what makes them the bad husband right right so what the betrayal is right yeah so dale's question is for our listeners is do you trust someone you don't respect and can you respect someone you don't trust I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think so, so funny because we just talked about respect. Right. And I think that, you know, uh, part of being trustworthy is being respectful. So if you are being respectful and that is a reciprocating thing, then that will garner trust. But if you're being disrespectful, then you diminish trust. So no, Dale, I don't, I don't think you can trust someone you don't respect. And I don't think you can respect someone you don't trust because I feel like those two pretty much go yeah. hand in hand. That's like, you know, it's either good business or it's bad business. And that's bad business. Being disrespectful and untrustworthy. I don't want, I don't even want that in my space. Yeah. Yeah. No, agreed. And I think it's safe and fair to um, sever that or cut that tie to where you don't have to worry about that person. Because at the end of the day, that's what it's going to be. They're going to be rude and disrespectful to you. And then they're not going to be trustworthy. So why would you want to have your circle with those kind of people in there? So that's a no. I'm out on that. <laughs> so it says here we got the power of positive feedback and you know we always talk about positive thinking and positive thoughts but it is a it is a real thing it does it's it's effective tool so positive feedback can help build trust by reinforcing positive behaviors and actions when we provide positive feedback we show others that we recognize and appreciate their efforts which can help sen- foster a greater sense of trust so i agree with that like you know when you tell your kids like when you tell them like, oh, I trust you to make your own decisions here and do your own project, I'm not gonna intervene, it's your work. This is giving you autonomy to do what you wanna do. They do it, they execute, and then you're like, that's a really great job. You trusted your instincts on your project and it looks great. So that's another way to help foster trust with your kids or with anybody, really. And confidence in them as well. Yes, for sure. So we're building... By you showing that you trust them and their decision-making, that gives them the confidence that they need. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. So we want to talk about uh, understanding the impact of betrayal and the uh, disappointment on trust. So how betrayal affects trust, obviously, you know, Betrayal and disappointment can significantly impact a person's ability to trust others. When someone's let down or harmed by a friend, a partner, a family member, whoever it is, they may find it difficult to open up and trust again. So this this can manifest in various forms, including like being guarded, Mm. weariness of others' intentions, difficulty Mm. forming close relationships. Mm. (laughs) It sounds like you're explaining my dating life. (laughs) But I mean, and that's true too. So, you know, we'll, we could talk about that as well. So once we have experienced these things and they are, you know, like same man, different pants syndrome, yes. 
that's on another episode. You guys feel free to go pick up on that one. <laughs> um, but once you get into that rhythm, you start attracting untrustworthy people because you are like spending so much time on this betrayal. Well, maybe you're not attracting it. You're allowing it because that's what you're used to and that's what's subconsciously comfortable. Yeah. Right. I, I listened. I heard a TikTok or some type of words being said <laughs> and it was something along the lines of um, there's a difference between being interested and being eligible. And so when you raise your frequency and you do these things, everyone's interested. Right. You as the person, you have to learn discernment to be able to figure out, sort through who's interested and who's eligible. Right. And that was like a, wow, okay, all right. Yeah, you're right. Everyone's, not not to say like, uh, you know, like that, but anyone who's going to come to you is going to be interested. It's your job to discern if they're eligible to meet the criteria that you need. Right, to meet you at your level. Like I used to be like, I would give a rundown. This is what I want. This is what I'm looking for. And that's not the proper way to do it because <laughs> someone who wants to pretend that they're like that, they will. Right. And so now the way that I look at it is I'm like, I will, we'll see. We'll see how, if we align. Right. As natural progression of us getting to know each other, we'll figure out if we're, you know, supposed to be like that or if it's like a, nah. So and then in that, in that same breath, do you trust them to be giving their authentic self to you at this time? Mm. um no because i feel like in in the grand scheme of dating most people do not show up in the first month as their um authentic self they show up as their best self yeah right because we want it's the job interview yeah we want to put our best foot forward and so i'm not saying like oh they're lying about everything um like someone else that i had been with but i'm like (laughs) I'm a little bit more hesitant of like, hmm, okay, note it. I'm going to note that. I'm not going to note it and be like, oh, this is a liar. I'm going to note it. And if something else comes up, then I can revert back to my notes. <laughs> Do you really note it? No, no, okay. not in a notebook. Like, like mentally, I'm like, leave mm. it to Katie to make a list. I mean, <laughs> if I was dating multiple people at one time, I might have to make a list. Yeah, because you I don't even have. I don't even have multiples I, I can't I know it's very hard to keep track yeah. of I can imagine especially if you're on the dating apps like yeah. if there's too many matches then it's like ah and I go away for like three or four days <laughs> <laughs> I get overwhelmed there's too many I agree yeah you dealing with too much energy it's too much so uh let's identify some different forms of betrayal have you guys has anybody watching live on Facebook ever been betrayed Monica's um, here give us a little uh ex- one of your experiences and let's talk about it it says uh, betrayal and disappointment come in different forms. Uh, obviously, infidelity in romantic relationships, friends breaking your confidence, um, like, you know, talking your mess to other people that doesn't need to be talked to. Maybe a family member has disregarded your feelings or, you know, made you feel invalid. Or maybe a work colleague taking credit for something mm. that you did. So regardless of each form, it's all damaging to trust. So like when you were talking about a good man that isn't trustworthy. Like say like there was a video the other day on TikTok about a dude who was calling out his friend because they went out and he was the friend was trying to holler at some lady and he was like I can't I can't mess with him anymore. I can't hang out with him anymore because he was married. He has a wife. Yeah, I think I saw the same thing. Yes, and so I think that is like a, a clear and you know, uh evident experience of that to say like man, 
if I can't trust you to not cheat on your wife with me, then I can't trust you to know my personal secrets or my business or what what's happened in my life because you are untrustworthy. Right. And it's not just in your marriage. And you chose to be with that person. You chose to make that decision yeah. and to not do that. And yeah. then here you are and you're, you know, some people may be doing it in front of God. And so if you can't keep your word to your wife who you said vows with right. in front of God. And everybody. Who, what am I? Right. So if you know that there's someone in your life who's doing things like this, then obviously that's a big red flag that people are consistent. And if he's being untrustworthy here, there's probably other areas that they're being untrustworthy too. Well, so hold on. I need to do this little pause thing okay. for the, the podcast. We'll be right back, guys. And we're back. <laughs> it's like magic. It is. Um, so although I can see that that thing, I also know and this is part of self-forgiveness and forgiveness, is that there are people who make mistakes. Yeah. That's not their core character of who they are sure. and that, what they're, they're willing to do. And I think that those, that's where the whole overall consistency of who they are comes in. Yeah. And, you know, what if that guy, what if that is the first time that he's ever done that? Sure. What if, you know, his friend said, hey, you know, in the event that this was the first time that that's not his core character maybe his friend saying hey this isn't cool like that's not is this who you want to be if they're then reflective on that and they're like oh man maybe you're right right i made a big mistake then, i should have done that then it's like okay cool but if they're just like Psh, whatever this is what we do then yeah you just realize that so does that you. come back to like an authentic apology yeah there's an authentic apology that. and also taking a change behavior Taking accountability and change yep. behavior. Yeah. I agree. I think that obviously there are some things that can be worked through uh, for some relationships. Mm-hmm. And some are unforgivable sins. So there what, are some. What do you think is an unforgivable sin? <sighs> like taking someone's life. Yeah. Intentionally. Um, like stealing people's stuff intentionally. Like repetitively. Yeah. You know, like that's your who you are being a th- like a, th- a thief, a thief. Um, yeah people like that yeah I think those are unforgivable beating your children that's unforgivable um, throwing babies in the trash can at the oh. hospital yeah trigger warning all over this show yeah Sorry, um, but there yeah there are definitely some what do you think they are no I agree I think that um, like those egregious acts are yeah. kind of unforgivable sense and then look it's up to you and your creator or whoever you believe in to make peace with that if that is something that you have done in your life yeah you know? and then there's some people who are just not at all remorseful yeah 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 we've seen lots of shows about them yeah because they get caught yeah and, and they're in jail and they're they like, are oh, i didn't think i was stalking anyone what do you mean calling them fifty thousand times that's right. not stalking no have you seen that yes i have seen that oh my gosh some of them like really were like oh i didn't even know that was considered that right now do you think they're pretending or do you think they're that I think that there's some some other like mental health other yeah like a social construct like not understanding boundaries or things like that not all of them I think some of them are very intentional and are just lying to Mm -hmm. just be like I didn't know yeah Yeah. I'm innocent yeah I didn't do it I'm not a stalker (laughs) so trust allows people to be vulnerable with one another Um, it allows you to do what we're doing right here to share our thoughts and feelings freely and to rely on each other in times of need. So when trust is breached, it can be challenging to repair it and rebuild. However, with effort and communication from both sides, so that's accountability, change behavior, a real apology, um, 
you can start to regain trust again. So we'll go back to uh, boundaries again mm-hmm. because and there's another episode on that. <laughs> so, you know, boundaries are important in relationships because they are kind of based in trust. Like, hey, I trust you not to behave this way, speak to me this way, um, use my time this way, t- use my body this way. Uh, so they prevent misunderstandings and hurt feelings. And when you set healthy boundaries, you can maintain independence and self-respect. So that's saying like, I'm, I'm my own autonomy. This is how I expect to be treated. And then you have self-respect because you're holding yourself in that high regard. So what are some ways that you work to make sure that you trust yourself? Mm. Um, I, I sometimes have self-conversation. Yeah. And I, you know, evaluate you what's say, happening. Do you say, hey, self? Because I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> but I think that, um, you know, from growing up, in the way that I did, I didn't have an inherent self-trust mm-hmm. and I put that in other people. Yeah. Um, and it was okay for some people, but not a good idea for right. the other people that were right. put. So now I just really ask, I, I really try to go into myself. What makes me happy? What makes me feel comfortable? Am I doing the right thing? Am I doing it for me or am I doing it for someone else? And then that's how I move and by showing up for myself in the way that I say I'm going to show up for myself, that really fosters the self-trust. So when you are consistent in what I say I'm going to do mm-hmm. and doing what I'm going to do, so your actions and thoughts align mm-hmm. and then you're being consistent with it, that fosters a greater sense of self-trust. Yeah. And that's really all that is. So take that with you, put that in your piggy bank of, of what to do because well, because what we're talking about is when you trust yourself, you trust your, the decisions you're making because mm-hmm. like you just You don't said. have to trust other people. Right. You trust that you're going to make the right decision for yourself. You don't have to put as much uh, weight on the other person showing up for you. Because guess what? If they don't, you trust yourself, to, trust yourself. to take yourself out of the situation yeah. and not deal with it. And it's, it's really the, the fundamentals of being able to healthily trust other people. So when you trust yourself and you trust your decision making, then that gives a little room for you to be able to trust other people and be like, okay, cool, you can have this mm-hmm. and don't break it. If you do break it, then we have to move to these other strategies. Right, and I think that this could actually lead into the forgiving of yourself because yeah. before you forgive yourself for allowing those things that caused you to distrust yourself, right? you need to forgive yourself. Yeah, there's and a whole mantra. I think it's like hip hop and no po po po. Yeah. <laughs> Can you spell that? Please? I'm gonna have to find it. I think uh, my dad sent it to me one time, but I've listened to it several times. It's like a, um, it's kind of like a meditation mantra. So it's like a music, a sound that you play in the mm-hmm. background, and it says, "I love you. I forgive you. I love you. I'm sorry. I forgive you." Now you could picture someone else in your mind while you're doing this, mm-hmm. or you could picture, picture like yourself. your higher self. Yeah and say, you know, I love you, I'm sorry, I forgive you. And whatever it is for, you know, it's, it's, you can think of different scenarios like, oh, I shouldn't have did this last week, you know, this went against my, I broke my own self-trust. Right. So then you're, re- you're saying like, I love you, self, I'm sorry that I did that, and I forgive you. 
So it's really powerful uh, meditation to do. So if you have anything like that, I would definitely, we'll put a link to like maybe a, one of them in the comments of the podcast today. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that we do. That was taking a little while. <laughs> I, was, I was trying and. I was waiting for you to finish my sentence and you didn't. Breaking my trust, Katie. <laughs> my no, bad. I'm just joking. Uh, uh, so I kind of wanted to go into how you can begin forgiving yourself. Yeah. Um, so you acknowledge and accept the responsibility. Take responsibility for your actions or decisions that you feel require forgiveness. Acknowledge the impact they had on yourself and others involved. Accepting responsibility is a crucial first step in the forgiveness process. So let's say that you were in a really bad relationship. Um, a lot of people, you know, I, I spoke to one man who was like, you know, well, yeah, you know, all these women are saying this, but why were you in the relationship with them to begin with? Like, you should have ended it. And it's it's a little, it, it's a lot more in depth than that, I believe. I believe that it really stems from your attachments yeah. and how you're raised. And if that's what you saw while you were being raised and you didn't know any different, that's a regular relationship. Yeah. You stick it out and you try to work through it. And um, it's not until you do a little bit of healing that you can see all the ways that maybe you didn't show up for yourself, yourself. in the best way. Yeah. And then you can say, hey, look, I acknowledge that I shouldn't have stuck around that long. Um, I accept that I did that because I didn't know any better at the right. time. And then I can put that away. I don't have to beat myself up for being in that terrible relationship for so long because I accept my role in it and I've done the steps to move forward and to be better in that right. way. Um, and I guess that that's kind of understanding your motivations and cons context. Reflect on the factors that influence your actions or decisions. Um, consider your intentions, beliefs, and circumstances around the situation. Understanding the context can help bring clarity and empathy towards yourself. Mm-hmm. Then practice self-compassion, which we talk a lot. Give yourself grace. Yes. You know, you couldn't have known until you knew. No, and we're only human. We're just all trying to figure it out. And as long as you are continuing to learn and grow through the mistakes, you know, you, you can only give yourself grace for so many things. Until yeah. You're like, hey, man, why do I keep doing this? <laughs> uh, I'm giving myself the grace to do it. But at some point, you have to look it in the mirror and say, hey, self, um, what am I? I, I gotta we gotta change. This. Otherwise, yeah. this is this is who I am. Yes, it's it's a characteristic, you know. Yeah. Um, apologize and make amends if ac- applicable. I can never say that word. Um, if your actions have affected others, offer a sincere apology. Um, there are some things that I'm really hard on myself about, and um, you know, if, if you show your genuine remorse and you say you're sorry. Whether that's accepted or not, you're able to then move on because you know yeah. that you have given it what it needs to to do. Um, release guilt and shame. Mm-hmm. Let go of excess guilt and shame associated with your actions or decisions. Holding on to these negative emotions only hinders your ability to forgive yourself. Practice self-forgiveness by actively releasing guilt and embracing self-acceptance. I've had to really do a lot of work there yeah and i'm very proud of myself because i have uh, i don't it used to be like if i made a bad decision or if i made a mistake it would be there for like three months yes and i would beat myself up constantly oh my god you know not 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 24 7 but you know what i mean no yeah it would continuously play in the back of your mind and now i'm like no no 
I've already forgiven myself for right. that. We're moving on. We're not going to do that again. And that's what it is. Um, this is kind of what our podcast is all about. Engage in self-reflection and growth. Um, engage in self-reflection and personal growth practices such as journaling, therapy, mindfulness. These practices can help you gain a deeper insight to yourself, your values, and your aspirations. They also promote self-awareness yeah. and personal development. We talk about that all the time. And like what you said, practicing forgiving rituals. Engage in forgiveness rituals that resonate with you. This could involve writing a forgiveness letter to yourself, engaging in self-forgiveness affirmations, or participating in forgiveness meditation. These rituals can provide a tangible and symbolic way to let go of self-blame and embrace forgiveness. And then give yourself time. Like yeah. everything is It's not going to be undone in a day. Well, a <laughs> right. lot of times it didn't get... It didn't happen yeah. that way in a day, and it's not going to be undone in a, in a day. And especially if you were not shown these things as a young person and you're trying to learn them as an adult. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's not it's like hard. you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but it is something that's unfamiliar so that you do have to put effort into it and, and do give yourself uh, a time of like, cool, I'm not going to learn this the first time I try to do it. And it's going to, okay, I mean, it's going to be recurring yeah. until it gets easier. So, but you have to actually practice it. It's like riding a bike, yes. right? You can't ride the bike one time and be like, yeah, I can ride a bike. You got to keep practicing. You got to keep going, yeah. You're just like, okay, this is what I do. I ride bikes. Right, it's the same. And this is what I do. I forgive myself yes. for the mistakes that I make. Yes. And then in turn, by doing that, I then trust myself and I am less likely to make those same mistakes right. because I know how damaging it is to me and I know that that's not who I am or what I want to do. Right, I don't want to go back down that path. Yeah. So this is a no for me. <laughs> yep. So, years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think self-forgiveness is just like giving yourself, you know, it's kind of like the grace part of everything. And you definitely have to be aware, have that awareness. And I think on the other side of the self-forgiveness is emotional intelligence about that. So that's the reflection that you have. That's the emotional intelligence you gain from that whole roller yeah. coaster experience to where you get to the end of it and you're like, okay, I really forgive myself for that. I know I can trust myself again. And that piece is the emotional intelligence. Then you apply it by saying, I'm not going to allow this experience to come back to me by way of this kind of person, these right. actions. Because these I behaviors. trust myself that when those type of things come up, yeah. I'm going to say, uh uh, that's right. not for me. Red flag. Yeah. I had something here about red flags. Yeah, it's, we had a red flag at the birthday party when <laughs> they gave it to us. That, that's yeah, what they did. tells that you so that funny. you rented it. And I was like, oh, of course we got a red flag. I don't know if any of you have ever been, but there's a place in Franklin, Louisiana, and it's probably like one of Isn't my favorite. Isn't that Franklinton? No, it's not. Oh, I've been calling it Franklin. Franklin. It's in Franklin, Louisiana. I think that's why people get the, Boogaloosa, they get the directions Bo wrong. Bogalusa? 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 It's in Bogalusa, Louisiana. <laughs> So um, there's a place called White Sands Lake out there. It's a day beach, and it is probably one of my favorite times, really awesome. favorite places to go. They have blow-up climby thingies for the big kids and little kids, which is really awesome because they didn't used to have as much stuff for the smaller kids. They just got to swim. Right. But it's great. You don't have it any is. waves. No waves. No jellyfish. Yeah. It's everything great about the beach and none of the uh, bad stuff. So we are in no way being paid by no. White Sands Lake. We, we, just we, like we wouldn't mind if they did, but we're not <laughs> currently. So there's that. Um, so uh, red flags. There it is. Red flags. Okay, before we start, I'm going to take a pause. Okay, and we're Unpause. back. Unpause. On red flags. My kids used to say plause. 
Pause. Like when we were playing the game, they'd be like, pause, pause it, pause it. And I was, so now when I hear pause, I pause. hear applause in my head. It's, it's like applause, but applause. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let me applause it. <laughs> you know? So. In case anybody's not aware, there are some red flags that you can look for uh, in, in all of your relationships. And they include dishonesty, mm-hmm. lack of accountability, and disrespect. So, uh, Dale, I know that you're no longer watching, but you can go back and that's definitely a red, big red flag. So, those, uh, those issues are, are warning signs. They're red flags. So, you address it immediately with the person if you want to continue to have any sort of relationship with them so that you don't end up with significant problems down the line. So, don't don't um, make the list, Katie. Be like, oh, big red flag. Mm. This person just lied to me. Yeah, no, I don't. Yeah. I, I'm trying to think of an example of when I didn't have that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's talk about uh, forgiving others so we've forgiven ourselves yeah and so that's what we kind of talked about before we came on here do we have to in order to forgive others do we have to come to some sort of forgiveness of self first in my opinion if it was something it depends on what yeah it depends situational because if it's something that you contributed to like that you say i allowed this to happen but there are sometimes that people do things that you have no control over right so I think it's situational. If it is something that you see that you're like, no, I, I totally saw the red flags. I didn't listen. I still got into the relationship. And now here I am. So well, yes. Maybe you didn't know they were red flags. Oh, if this person's lying to you. I mean, what if you were raised by someone who lies? And that's normal. But you know a lie. You know a lie. You don't know a lie? You don't know a lie until you, you find s- out the truth. If, right. So when you see it that they are being dishonest in that moment, you're like, oh, wow, you are very dishonest. Let's say it's something huge, like a huge dishonesty. Like, I had a vasectomy. <laughs> and they really didn't. And you find out that they really didn't. That's a huge lie. Yeah. That's a big old. Yeah. Or if they say, I don't do drugs. Mm. And then you see them doing the drugs big like that that, that gaslighting comes into play there though too man i don't know it's pretty hard to miss somebody doing drugs not if you're under that that complete gaslit to where you're in a place where you don't trust or believe your own self because you've been lied and manipulated so much yeah i've had someone tell me like no i'm not doing drugs and then i went in the vehicle and i saw them oh that's for so and so or there was always some type of response that would kind of make it make sense. Like, oh, that needle is for the person who gave me this and they have diabetes. <laughs> diabetes. Now, at that time, I had already seen the light and I knew the truth. Right. And I was like, absolutely not. No, I don't we're not believe doing that. This. But they really tried to stay and buy that lie. Stay and buy that lie. And they, they really, they might believe that themselves. I that's, don't know. That's like sociopathic behavior. Yes. No, yeah. But, but that's part of the being in that really toxic space where you don't even know yourself anymore and you don't know. So the for truth. those, for those things, have you forgiven yourself? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So you feel like you could recognize those red flags in another yes. and then also put in your boundaries and your self trust yes. and self worth in front of it and be like, yeah, yeah, that's no, why that's I haven't no. dated anyone. <laughs> yeah. They haven't made it past that that <laughs> space. <laughs> oh, that hurts my heart, bro. 
I mean, I understand to a degree because when my brother was going through his addiction, I wanted to believe <laughs> that he wasn't doing right, certain things. Right, because you care about and him. I, and I, I knew that he was, but I, I want, deeply wanted to be. Not because he was gaslighting me or, I mean, and he did eventually because when you're an addict, you end up yeah. doing things like that to the people that you love. So it was just the fact that I really, I just wanted to believe that he was doing well. Yeah. And so then there were several times where it was a betrayal of trust. Like he would steal my stuff and go pawn it. And then you'd be like, bro. Yeah, I don't know where my bike is. Yeah, my Movado watch that I worked really hard to pay for by myself working at Hooters doubles all the time. <laughs> that really happened. <laughs> I Dude, I mean, or just like when I, um, I got home from North Carolina when I got that uh, pyelonephritis. I had like a really bad kidney infection. I had a UTI. It wasn't treated, and I had a I had pyelonephritis while we were on a youth group trip. Can you explain like how serious that is? Because yeah, I don't think everyone knows what the hell. So, is. what happens is there's a um, it's obviously the infected urine goes back up your urethras and into your kidneys, and then your kidneys are what filter your blood. So then that infection ends up getting filtered in your blood, and then if you let it go too long, you can become septic, mm. and septic means that you have just your blood is not good anymore it's trash and it's filtering all through your yeah. body so you have like a whole body sickness so i was sick like that in north carolina um for five days my mom literally left work with a, her bag and flew because she knew how bad it was and stayed with me in the hospital um the whole time i was there so i had never flown before at this point i was 17 and my yeah, mom, i bet that was super scary it was like, super scary i was not there i'm yeah. here by myself yeah it was terrifying i'd gotten my first iv while i was there uh like everything all of these firsts had happened and i was alone um so and my mom really advocated for me because she's a healthcare practitioner so she is like no you know this this needs to be treated this way so um i stayed there all those days my mom flew me back home uh they Gave me all kind of drugs to make me, because I was really nervous about flying. I've never flown before, and I flew on a small plane. So they sent me home my prescriptions and all that stuff. And then I got home, and um, my mom told me that I needed to sleep with my pain pills under my pillow so that my brother wouldn't steal them. Like, that's how bad it had gotten. Like, I had just spent five days in the hospital where I almost died, and my brother's still willing to steal. So the trust there was like... Yeah holy moly this is really really bad so there was no way to really repair that because he died before we ever tried to work on that do you think that it is possible to repair trust with an active addict i don't think no i don't think so because an active addict they are always looking for ways to get get high whatever the fix is so I don't think that his behavior would have changed. I don't think there would have been an authentic apology out of him. It would have been something to appease me, like, my bad, I yeah. was just, I, just, I found him, or whatever he would have come up with. Um, but no, I don't think there's a way that you can make or repair a relationship with an active addict because they are not in their right mind. Yeah, they ha- that's where that accountability right. comes in. They don't have that. Yeah. They have to be clean. And that's why when people do these programs, they have this these steps, the 12 steps, and one of them is going out and apologizing to all of the people that you've wronged, even if they don't know that you wronged them. Like, say you stole one of my pills and I didn't mm-hmm. notice. You still have to go and apologize and take accountability for it and give a genuine apology for it and then show them your changed behavior. Yeah. So this is all. That's the biggest part is the showing of the changed behavior. Yeah, and been staying consistent with that, which is mm-hmm. what's very difficult for addicts, uh, because that that's what addiction does. It yeah, just wants to stay. 
It doesn't want to go. So you have to work really hard every day. So any every addict day. that's in recovery will tell you, I am an addict. Yeah. That's how I they... will be forever. Yeah, they will be forever. Because and, the potential of relapse is... Yeah, every day I want to smoke crack. Every day I want to do crystal meth. Every day, whatever their drug of choice was. Every day I want to do opioids. That is, that is how it works. And it changes the, the chemistry of their brain to where they don't feel like they function normally without it. So that's what addiction does to a human's brain. So, and then also all these emotional, you know, uh, problems that arise afterwards because of their behavior while they're addicted, they kind of isolate themselves even further. So like if you become the addict and you're the family thief, now no one trusts you. You can't right. come on my house. You can't spend a night. I don't want you over here. Don't you're bring your alienated friends. because <clears throat> of your own behavior. And then that isolation turns into more and more usage because... You're all alone. How can I make myself feel better or go numb? And then right. they use. Because once you sober up, then you have to face all of the yeah. sh- shitty things the that things. you did. Yeah. I tell this story all the time when I do my dare speeches about the night that Travis uh, ran into the back of this guy's truck. And, and well, he was towing a boat. And he hit the truck so hard, the boat motor came off of the boat. And the boat came off of the trailer. And I was just so grateful that he didn't hurt people in the truck. You know, it was just a thing and um, that would be very damaging for him. But I tried to put it to him like this. I was like, bro, what if that had been me driving home one night and we had a head-on collision and you killed me? And he kind of was just like, well, that's not what happened. Like, he didn't even want to think about right, right. that could be a possibility. And um, he didn't remember any of the accident. Like, the police came, took him to jail, <laughs> the whole thing, and... He woke up in jail and was like, He woke up in jail and was like, why, how did I get here? And, you know, they explained to him that and then my mom and I they, they went and picked him up and I brought him to his truck because he had some personal items in the truck that he wanted to retrieve and um, when we got to the truck he was then like oh like this is really I really messed this up like this is really really bad and I think because you know he had had time to sober up so he was kind of in his right mind a little bit enough to absorb the gravity of the situation and then the getting of the DUI like it changed his life I, I, I maybe he lived uh, probably maybe six months after that he was dead so that's how even that event made him want to get high more like how can I escape from this how can I continue right. to escape from this so yeah right because that's a that's a huge thing to have to deal with and yeah. if you didn't want so and let's talk about what gets you to the addiction right it's never the the drug no it's what they're running away from yeah for sure and this is kind of where I feel bad. I, I have a very conflicted feelings about this because mm-hmm. um, it must suck to not like yourself so much that even you, while you're alone, have to run away from yourself. Yeah. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, sad. Um, But... The people that you hurt... By not doing it, it's just sucks even worse. It does, <laughs> and it is a, it is a forever pain, forever hurt, and then it shows up different ways in your life later, where you least expected it to. Um, it definitely, yeah, it's forever. You in that temporary moment of like, I want to hide from my experiences. I want to hide from myself. I want to hide from everyone. And then for the rest of those people's lives, it is very much in your face all the time. We're just going to cry today. 
I think every time I talk about Travis, I will cry. Because it's just so sad. You know, like, having... Having watched him grow up into the person that he was becoming, and then to watch it just kind of... Just fade away, and then and then go into this abrupt nothingness. Like, it's so hard to make peace with that. I think the, the fact that... Um, That he was so young makes it even worse. Because I think, like, I see his friends on Facebook and I'm like, oh, look at them. They're, they have families. They're married. They look handsome. They have gray hair. And I, I want to, like, paint him in those pictures in my mind. It's very hard for me to do that because I only remember him the way that he was. And I, what, what did he get for, in high school? Cutest boy. Cutest boy. Yeah, he was. I, I get. I feel the feeling of him saying, "I got to go out and still." The <laughs> you know, no. like that would be some shit he would say. I yes. feel like. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like, "Don't give me that gray hair." Yeah, I'm not gonna age for with y'all. Y'all gonna get old without me. I'm gonna be forever 23. Yeah, and that's yeah, yeah, and I think too, you know, a lot of that experience affected how much I trusted other people, like learning who I could trust and who I couldn't trust because the people that he went with the night that he got the drugs that killed him, they like assured me that nothing was going to happen. They knew that he was just, this was the day after he got done with the DUI. And they assured me that nothing was, you know, going to be done at this party and that Travis would be fine. And so had he been sober for a period of time? Yeah, because from what I understand, yes. a lot of um, addicts, if they've gotten sober for a day yeah. or a week, their um, their tolerance is yes. lower, and so they may start out taking the you know the same dose that they took before, yeah. and that is exactly what he did. Um, I don't know if everyone knows this story, but we'll I guess we'll just air it out today. Seems like a great time. Well, we're already crying, so <laughs> let's just finish it. Um, so the day after my brother finished all of his court proceedings for his DUI, um, we were very much in a celebratory mood. He had been clean for several months because he had to do this whole program through the DA's office, and it forced him to be clean. So they were drug testing him. He was doing outpatient rehab. Um, so there was like a therapy aspect to it to try and heal from his trauma that brought him to drugs. Um, so uh, that night, Travis was like, hey, I'm going to go over to a friend's house for a party. Um, would you drop me off? He didn't have a vehicle anymore. And now it was like I was his, his other mother, basically. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll bring you over there for a little while. I was pregnant with my first child. I was married. Um, and I was 20. And um, even though he had broken my trust all these other times, I, I trusted him then. And he went to this party. Would you say that you trusted him or you just you loved him and you wanted yeah. what he was saying to, to be, be true. true? So you wanted to trust him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, without a doubt. And especially because he had been consistent in being mm -hmm. clean for those past months. It gave so you that hope. It did. I was like, okay, maybe we're turning a corner here. This might That might have been the rock bottom. That could have been it. And yeah. we are moving forward from this. Um, but I, th I very much think that my brother was still quite a self-torturing individual in his mind. And I don't love... To think about how how he felt you know like to, to just be afraid of your yourself and not trust yourself and not trust your recovery not trust your family 
Because, I mean, if he couldn't trust himself, he couldn't trust any of us either. And to go out there and lie to me again and still find a way to get your hands on drugs, and it was methadone wafers that he got. And um, he called me. He said, can you pick me up from the party? And I said, yeah, I'll pick you up. And uh, I went and scooped him up. And as soon as, as soon as he got in my car, I just started going off because I could see how messed up he was. And um, so I just I kind of jumped his, his stuff the whole way home. Like, I can't believe he did this. You've been doing so good. Like, everything has been going so much better. You got this DUI stuff off your chest. Now we can work on getting you a job and, like, putting you back into the real world and, like, functioning adult person. And um, I remember we got home and I, was, I still wasn't done. <laughs> and I wanted to yell at him some more because I was just so disappointed. Like we had been riding so good. And I sat him down on the back porch with me and I told him, I said, you know, I don't even feel like you're listening to me right now. So he kind of repeated back to me some of the things I was saying, like to be kind of smart assy because that's mm-hmm. who he was. And um, after I was finally done, done, he was like, all right, are you done, done now? And I'm like, I am done. And I put him to bed and he told me, hey, wake me up in the morning. I need to go do some work for some, a family member so I can get money to go get my, uh, my dog hunting license. Okay. And uh, I put him to bed. I turned the AC down like he asked me to and I told him I love you. And I, um, I remember I had a dream that he came to me in my dream. And it was like he was in a black room with like that puddle underneath him. And I could see his reflection in the puddle and I could see him standing there. And he told me, he says, Lori, I'm so sorry. I'm so, so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was like, what are you sorry about? And he was like, I died. I died. And he just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was like a a crazy movie I was watching. So when I woke up from that dream, I I went straight into his room. And uh, I could see that he, he was still laying in the exact position that he was when I put him to bed because I took his shoes off for him and everything because he was was messed up and uh, I got over to his face and I could see I could see that he had been dead like not just died to where like there's a chance we can save him it was not that at all it was like oh this is so bad this is like the worst thing that could happen and uh I remember screaming for my husband and telling him to come to come fix it, like help him, save him, do something. And while he ran into the room, because he was sleeping too, to try and do anything, which nothing could be done at this point. But I mean, I called 911. I remember sitting outside on the grass and the operators asked me all kind of questions. And I was like, look, I don't even, I, I don't even have words to answer things. Can you please just be here? Because I don't, like, I don't want to even, I want to like, I want to be out of my body. Like, right. I don't even want to be feeling this. This is the worst thing possible. And I had to get in touch with my mom. And you, there is no way to comprehend the feeling of telling your mom that her son is no longer alive. Like, I toyed with, I toyed with telling her, like, something was wrong. I toyed with telling her, like, maybe he's not breathing, you know, and then by the time she gets here, she could find it out, but it just kind of fell out of my mouth, and I remember my mom made this sound, and she sounded like a, I don't know if you've ever watched or seen, like, an animal be slaughtered, but that is what she sounded like, and it 
at any time of my life. They can re- that sound can just replay in the back of my head all the time. Um, so it sticks you. So because of my brother's addiction, I had PTSD. Yeah. For 10 years after he died. So that, that's kind of, you know, I've had to forgive him for that. Um, I've had to forgive him for dying, like leaving me here by myself. Yeah. And I still have to forgive him for shit. As it comes up, then I'm like, oh, I guess I got to work here. And it's, it's, it's a little trickier when the person you're trying to forgive is no longer alive. Right. Because do you feel like you feel some sense of guilt for having these feelings? Yeah, 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 sure. I think um, because I loved him so much, I feel like it's a betrayal for me to be angry with him because he's not here. And that's the ultimate sacrifice that he's dead, you know? But um, there's no one for me to mull it over with, with when it comes to, you know, him and I. There's no accountability for him to take. There's no um, change behavior. I, can't, I don't get any of that. So it's just a one-sided forgiveness. With, you know, the knowledge of, like, if he had been different, if things were different, um, I'm sure we could have worked to some sort of forgiveness between he and I because it's my brother. You know, and I... I what if he would have lived and been an addict the whole time? I wouldn't trust him. I would not trust him. But I would give him some some kind of love, some kind of um, empathetic understanding, or just continue to try and guide him into the right direction. Until maybe I got tired of doing that and would just be like, you know what, bro? You are totally on your own here. And I, I see people do it. I've, I've been witness to it in my life since he's died. I've seen people excommunicate their mothers. I've seen people, you know, uh, excommunicate their, their fathers, their children. You know, you get to a point where you're just, like, exhausted. And then you know that the efforts that you're giving there to try to lead them into the right space is just not ever going to... There's no fruit coming. You know, you just keep watering this tree where there's, it's never going to happen. And um, I think that's part of the relief I feel that he did die. And I know for some people that sounds really terrible but i don't have to worry about him anymore i think that anybody who has um been close or cared about someone would understand what you mean by that because we've had a lot of people we know die because of addiction and overdose yep and you know one of a very close person to us um you know, that's who I would talk to about how I felt about the person that I was dealing with. And then her child's father died. And, I mean, it was actually two, two of them. And, you know, which one's worse? Right. Having the person gone and doing, being addicted in active addiction or just having it be over. Yeah. And... I think that the love I had for your brother and the other people that we cared about really makes it hard for me because when it's a romantic relationship, you know, it's a little easier to just say, you're doing this and this is a bad thing. Right. Um, but when you have like a, 
a family love for them yes. and you know i have a child with this person yeah and it's gonna affect her her whole life no matter which way it goes yeah and i think that that has by my love for them it has given me a little bit of grace to still hold space for the possibility but then also in the back of your mind you know the other possibility right and which one's worse or which one's better yeah yeah i think um it is a sage of you and you know it, it always sucks because it comes to this like we have had these experiences to prepare us for future experiences and you know it's insightful and sage of you to look at that relationship and think and at least give yourself that kind of awareness and preparation because something will happen either they will get clean or they will not and we know the way that that avenue goes and to kind of prepare your life for you know it to remain the same or it to be altered it's going to change or it's going to stay the same and yeah yeah you uh you don't get over it it doesn't go away so i mean it wasn't my dad that you know overdosed it was my brother but he was very much like my dad he very much yeah it was you was too in- y'all were the only kids and that was your other person yeah so um yeah the life lifelong effects of that loss i think mine was definitely a little bit differently traumatic because of the way that i found him dead yeah um i mean the trauma of you finding your brother trickled on to me yeah um not just in the the last relationship but there were times where i would look over and i didn't know if the person was going to wake up right and i didn't know and because i know that that reality is true it was very yeah, the PTSD is strong. And people don't realize. Right. Like, when you love someone and you're very close to someone who's addicted to these kind of drugs that literally the most microscopic amount yeah. can kill you, it is a very traumatic, like, it's traumatic. Yeah. And the people who are going through it, the people who are using, they don't realize. No. They don't see that. They, they don't. And I, you know, it always frustrated me. And I think this was part of the problem was that we were always expecting him to show up for him. Yeah. Like why, like kind of like banging your head. Like, why don't you understand like how terrible this is and how it's negatively affecting like every part of your life and every person, you know, every relationship you have, all the trust is gone. You've betrayed us a thousand times and you keep on doing it. So now this is the new you. You are consistently this person. How can you not see how terrible this is? They don't. They are so morphed into their own world. And I I tell people this all the time when we talk about Travis. I said, you know, my brother's physical body died when he was 23 that night. But Travis died when he was 17. When he started using, that's when he really died. Because he wasn't who he was anymore. We would see little glimmers of it, little parts of him would show up. Um... But no, he was gone then. And one of the worst things I think we found when we cleaned out Travis's room was he had written this uh, this journal entry while he was at SLU, 
and he said, like he kind of predicted his death. This was in, at SLU, you know, 19 years old. And he said, I'm, uh, I like feeling high more than I like feeling regular life. And I know that one day I will take that too far and I won't have to feel anything anymore. Like, this is why, I, I think this is why I make doing stuff like this and having talks about mental health and mental awareness is why it's become like part of my life is because I don't want someone to write that in a notebook and put that in a closet and not have someone to share that with and express that to and get help with. So I use, I use that, my Travis experiences to try and help somebody else, to try and alter that so no one else has to feel how I feel. Um, I'm not naive enough to think that I can save everybody. I, I know that I'm, I'm not going to do that. But if there is like anybody in your family, if there's anybody in your circle that you know is just struggling, like, man, put your hand out, you know, offer them some sort of refuge. Put them in the right direction, you know, offer them help getting to therapy and to bridge house and to grace house something I've, I've driven several acquaintances friends people that we know intimately i've driven them pick them up call grace house or called uh and brought them there with their bags um because it's it's the right thing to do and if they don't know that that's available to them i will illuminate that for you um but it's important because i don't i don't want there to be other I don't want there to be other Travis and Lori's. It's just pretty simple. Because it, it has been a, a kind of a suck fest. You know, all my kids first. The fact that I have children, even, I feel guilty about. I've been married. He never did that. I own a home. He never did that. So there's lots of layers to that grief and that uh those traumatic experiences because it was more than one but that was the culmination of it and that definitely yeah it's taking me a lot of work which is why I'm, i've taken this path because i got tired of taking you know prozac xanax something to, to be happy something to make me go to sleep and something to get me back to wake the next morning so i've tried to holistically you know uh change my my life so that's why we're here. It only took us 16 episodes to explode here. <laughs> I mean, we talk about this kind of stuff all the time. We do. On we do. Own. We do. Yeah. His birthday's coming up, so he's definitely on my mind right now. Like, even that. Like, how I frame my year around his birthday and when he died. And I, you know, my, my, so my healing strategy, and this has been very effective. So mm -hmm. on the anniversary of his death, I take me and my family on vacation now and I celebrate his life and I try not to replay that whole evening that you guys just got a glimpse of, um, because it just, it did nothing for my mental health. It was, it was the opposite. It would be the, the quick trigger for me to go into my sad and depressed girl winter time mode. Yeah. And um, 
I, I realized after many years, I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even realize that I was doing it until I saw a pattern in my Facebook posts. I saw a pattern in my Facebook posts that every November I was just like slumped and feeling shitty and just wanted to sleep and just wanted to hibernate. And I was like, why is this every November? And I'm like, what is it about this November shit? And I'm like, <laughs> well, that is what it is. Of course, that makes perfect sense. Right. So I'm just saying, like, I'm just going to... like, if I know that I do that, what can I do to intervene Correct. and, and shift, shift it and flip it? Yes. So I flip it. And now I go on a cool-ass family vacation with my people during during that very week. And I don't I don't sit with that as much, you know? I, obviously, I still sit with it. But um, I don't have the same kind of uh, snowballing depression that I used to have. And I'm not... I'm not on medicine, you know, I've just kind of had to look and be like, okay, I'm, I'm strong enough to move past this. I never want to unalive myself ever. Um, so don't think that I'm thinking that I'm just in a, a, a like a hybrid. I just want to hibernate. Like I just want to be a sad girl for the whole fall. Well, so yeah. I changed that. And, and that's part of healing doesn't mean that you're never going to feel those sad feelings yeah. again. It's just, you're not going to, like you say, unpack and live in shit. Yeah, no. You're no. going to feel the feelings. You could talk about it, you know, like we are now. Right. Feel the feelings. It's true. It's real feelings. Yeah. If, if you didn't, it, it would be fake. Yeah. And then, you know, each day you just try to show up and, you know, honor honor him. Yeah. And your relationship. And I think that's part of that's funny that it came up on a trust the trust yeah. episode because it is it was a huge a trust and betrayal it was all of that yeah it was this is our entire I think I think a lot of addiction and relationships in addiction it is very much whether it's family friends romantic whatever right. um I mean man when you go and you look back at how many people we have lost that were close like not just like yeah acquaintances these yeah. are like people that we considered family like we grew up with these people like yeah. slept at their house and shared meals with them gave them rides like rode around in cars together with them like yeah like close yeah. close yeah like siblings extended siblings mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a lot of of that so i think that's part of this too maybe i'm being driven to do some more forgiving so i can yeah. unpack that some more I don't know. How do you forgive? See, that that's why for me when we first started talking about this, I was like, this is going to be a really tough episode <laughs> for me because although I do believe, you know, forgiveness frees us, mm-hmm. I also believe that some people don't deserve our forgiveness. But then also when I hear it from your perspective, um, then it shifts like my want to hate this person forever yeah <laughs> and not hate them but I, i'm right. mad i'm mad yeah i'm mad that well but madness is a fair part of grief and i still get mad at travis i do because i'm like man how dare you how yeah. dare you have just outed yeah because you're like i'm here yes i'm left here and i, I stopped and, and maybe that's what it is for me too is i i'm like why do you get to go over there and you get to pretend that life is this dream right. world and you don't have any responsibilities? Meanwhile, I've had to pick up from the bullshit that you've yeah. left. Not only do I have to pick up that, but I got to work. I, ha- I have no choice. I have to look in the mirror and I have to work and I have to grow because I'm the only one that they have. Right. Because you're over there doing this yep. and you're not showing up. Yeah. And that's where it is. It's really... It's hard. I have space for compassion 
for the the addiction itself and the fact that you know a lot of this is um symptoms of that symptoms of that Mm -hmm. but then you know like you said there are some people who are like no i'd rather be i'd rather be high i'd rather do this Mm -hmm. than to do the work and you know there's been some some conversations that this person has said that make it seem like it's very confusing because it's like well which one is it do you have an addiction or are you fine but when you look at the drug test and there's fentanyl that's an addiction yes 100 percent. and the levels of that it was just insane and so it's very contradictory information for my brain to function because i want to hold space for compassion and to to help you heal and get better but you don't even want to do that for yourself. Yeah. You don't even want to admit. I, th- I think that the betrayal that you are d- talking about um, is beyond you holding space for that person. That's not your job anymore. Like, your job is to hold space for what you have in your house. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, this is a whole grown-ass adult that you are not married to. They are not your brother. They are not your sister. They're not your mom, not your dad. You're not connected to them that way so then since you can't be someone who is actively helping them or contributing to their get wellness it it, it exhausts you to to expend energy that way Mm -hmm. i think shifting all the way back into okay look i'm gonna i'm gonna focus my energy here you gotta go do whatever you gotta go do over there and until you come back over here with some accountability a real apology and change behavior I can't hold space for you. Yeah. Because I'm holding, you're holding space for a bum. Yeah. And someone who's clearly not willing to change, not interested in apologizing or taking accountability. So you you can't hold space for him. Yeah. It sucks because, you know, you genuinely are like, wow, I want this person to do well because the impact that it has on on my my family. And I get that. But it's, it's not, for you it's for that person to do yeah no you're right yeah it sucks Whew. heavy day how Jacqueline long has it been said, have you ever talked to a medium yeah she has yeah definitely uh, we've been to several mediums um, sorry guys we have not been reading these no my bad and thanks for people watching uh we love to see y'all come by thank you hey addison spain maybe she left um, she did, I think. Yeah. But, um, no, yeah, we've definitely talked to a medium. I'm open to that kind of stuff. I'm way into that. <laughs> he visits me in my dreams. Yeah. Dude, my dad did it the other night. It was yeah? really weird. Yeah, another person that I have a really crazy relationship with. Yeah, he visited with me. And he was very soft and gentle and tender. It was weird. Yeah. I was maybe like, that's part of the forgiveness healing, too. Maybe so. Maybe so. Well, glad we got to talk about this with y'all today. <laughs> <laughs> and unload all of these big, heavy feelings. Oh, I know. Oh, how long's it been? Um, I stopped paying attention to anything. Um, seventy-one minutes. That's a long time. We've been talking for a very long time. Yeah. So we're gonna put this down and go um, eat some sushi. <laughs> clean our faces and eat some sushi. So uh, at the what end, what a great day! What a great episode to have already had dinner plans after, <laughs> right? Yeah, no joke. Um, thanks for coming by today. We appreciate Brightway Insurance in Harahan, Louisiana, the Schmidt Family Agency, for allowing us this space, all of our equipment to do this. Uh, I'll keep on saying, if you guys want to come on the show, if you have something that you want to contribute, hey, Neil, if you guys want to add to the conversation or you want to talk about something, bro, hit us up. Um, you can find us on Spotify, Amazon Music. 
RSS.com. RSS. If you don't have, any if you of don't those have either memberships, of those, it's free <laughs> yeah, over there. I didn't, I didn't realize it's that. free ninety nine at RSS.com. So um, yeah, authentic existence with Katie and Lori. It's been another another stellar show. Episode fifteen. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Love you guys. Bye. Bye.